Welcome to the Bill Kelly Podcast. I'm Bill Kelly. Extinction Rebellion Hamilton hosted a protest at the lift bridge today. A Brexit deal has been reached, though it's yet to be ratified. And Hamilton City Council has decided to hire a consultant to gather public feedback on ways to counteract hate-related activity at City Hall. The Bill Kelly Podcast starts now. Today on the Bill Kelly Show on 900 CHML. Extinction Rebellion is uh, in Hamilton is hosting a protest at the lift bridge down by the canal today. Now, according to a post from the group's website, it is because the government is not acting fast enough to keep us from falling. Why block bridges? Well, let's talk to them about that. Cameron Topp is uh, with Extinction Rebellion Hamilton, joining us on the Bill Kelly Show to explain. Cameron, thank you for the time. Good to have you with us today. Thanks, Bill. I'm glad to be on. Thank well, you. Let's talk a little bit about the, the first question I guess a lot of people are going to be asking is, why are you there today? Why is why is this being set up at the at the bridge? Well, most importantly for me personally, Bill, is that I don't want my grandchild to ask me, where were you when the climate crisis we all knew? And I don't know about you, Bill, I've known truthfully that there was a problem since the 80s. And... We've all, many, many people, you I'm sure as well, have tried to do individual actions. You've spoken to your elected representatives. You know, you've, you've done the polite stuff. You've tried to make ethical decisions. You're buying the right consumer goods. And what we're trying to make sure that people understand with us is we're nonviolent. We're, we're all part of what we consider a toxic system. And it's the system that's the problem, we're not trying to blame any particular individual, we're not looking to shame anybody, and we ask that we not be misinterpreted in the media that way. I'm not perfect, nobody here is perfect today, but we, what we need, what we firmly believe is we've, we're not shouting, asking nicely, has not worked. What we need is action now. It's too late. Why, why is your message not being received then? I mean, obviously you're, you're very passionate about this, as, as most people, I hope most people are these days. Uh, but, but, you know, when, when you have this level of frustration, uh, you've tried to do an awful lot of other things. We get that. I mean, there's a, a, some sort of a dialogue going on during this federal election campaign about environmental policies. Uh, but, but why target Hamilton? Well, it's an international movement. There is actions happening all over the world. The people that are here today, we are in no way professional activists that have been doing this kind of thing, um, you know, uh, uh, disrupting business as usual. That We've been trying to do our bit, and now we're standing up to say we can't have business as usual anymore. It, it, it's too late. And just talk, more talk, agreements that have no teeth, they don't work. We have to do more. And so we're asking for people, most importantly, we need their physical presence, and we need any support we can get. Extinction Rebellion is a new movement that's just sprung up. It's mushroomed in the last year, and it's spreading everywhere because regular folks are really, really worried. What do you want to see people do as a result of this? Uh, I mean, where you are today at the lift bridge, uh, it's going to inconvenience some people that, that ordinarily use that as their place from, to go from point A to point B. What, what kind of a reaction are you hoping to get from, from the public on this, Cameron? Well, we're hoping to get noticed. And it's not, we, we don't want to be noticed. We need the issue to be noticed. We need it to go to top of the pile. 
as you just said, in our election campaign right now, it's been discussed, but it's one issue out of many, many. It needs to be the overriding issue. This is everything, you know. So we're we're not um, we're not here today to actually demand any specific actions. That's the part that we need other people to be involved in. Experts. What we're here to do today is to demand that elected officials, the media, tell the truth. This is a climate emergency. Second of all, we demand dramatic action by 2025. Are you concerned, though, Cameron, that uh, the the dialogue that's going to result from your action here today is going to be more about the inconvenience that you're causing as opposed to a discussion about climate change? And honestly, Bill, we really apologize for that. We've tried everything else. We're we're now. It, it's this is what we have left is to disrupt. We can't have business as usual anymore. We need everybody to start thinking that way. Business as usual is going to end us. It's going to extinction. You know, this is a big, big deal. There was a survey done uh, about a week and a half, two weeks ago. We got the results on this, Cameron. I'm, I'm sure you, you're aware of it. Uh, they asked Canadians, what are the top issues in this federal election campaign? Uh, and the economy and jobs, of course, is always up near the top, and health care. But, but climate was in the top three. Uh, so clearly the message is starting to resonate. But I'm getting the sense that you're saying, well, that's not good enough. It's not fast enough. Well, we are. That, the reason why it's starting to resonate is because folks like us are prepared to now take more action. Just being polite is not enough anymore. So talk to me about what you'd like to see from elected officials. Well, we basically got three demands. One, tell the truth. That means really explain just how bad it is, because we know how they know, we know how bad it is. But most, most folks have not been told the truth. Second, we want dramatic action by 2025. The current plans that talk about 2030 and 2050, unfortunately, this is what we're not being told enough of, they are relying on magic bullets, technology that doesn't even exist yet. So we have to act faster with what we have now. And we know what to do. We know what to do. The plans are there. Third, we want to see citizens' assemblies. We're not comfortable with the current government representing everybody. Uh, citizens' assemblies, we want them to uh, be able to, to decide the hard decisions because we need for the system to change so that as we move to a better world, more habitable world, it's going to be fair and just for everybody and every part of everybody. Cameron, I want to delve on, dwell on that for just a second, if you don't mind. I read the uh, the piece uh, that uh, Nancy Smith wrote that uh, was published in Raise the Hammer a couple of days ago, I guess now. And, and she talked about this this concept in the in the article there. Uh, and basically what you're looking for is a grassroots movement here. Do you, uh, do you, you want every councillor, as I understand this now, to have a, a, a public meeting, a town hall meeting, as it were, uh, and, and form this, uh, this, this committee, this group? Is that what you're looking for here? Correct. And we're not saying that we're waiting for that. We're not in any way saying that council shouldn't get moving quickly. We're, 
we're aware of the details of the strategic plans that council has carefully worked on. The problem is the timelines are not quick enough and the actions are still underfunded when this is the emergency. Now, so do you look at this committee, if council decides to go in this direction, I haven't heard from anybody on council about this yet, but uh, do you look at this as, as, as an advisory committee or, or a policy-making committee? Uh, it's both. For, to start with, the town halls are sounding out a, a method of learning how to create a citizen's assembly that is um, representative of, of all folks. We'll definitely have, we'll be recommending uh, facilitators who are um, have experience in creating uh, citizens' assemblies. We're not looking to have councillors kind of created out of thin air. But to start with, councillors really have to go to their own ward and tell people, we all, we, you know, I, I believe it was unanimous, there's a climate emergency council has declared. Mm-hmm. Then bring their, their, uh, the, the folks, the residents in their ward invite them in and say, there's a climate emergency, we need your advice, we need your input, and we're going to get serious, but we want to make sure what we're doing affects the folks today in a fair and just manner as we move forward. Some would suggest that uh, since you do have a plan of action, as, as you've just outlined and as as was outlined in Raise the Hammer and the, uh, the piece that Nicole wrote for Raise the Hammer, that maybe this protest should be at City Hall, not uh, not blocking traffic by the lift bridge. That that's the audience you want to reach immediately to the, be the elected officials. Uh, so yesterday, Nicole uh, Smith and I were at City Hall. Mm-hmm. Uh, we presented in front of Council yesterday. We introduced Extinction Rebellion. There's many actions we will be taking over the next few months. We we can't stress enough to the to all Hamilton residents. Any inconvenience we cause, we are truly sorry, but disruption is the way that it's going to get the attention that it needs. Regular folks saying, we have to act now. So what kind of reaction did you get? What kind of response did you get from council yesterday? Uh, They received our our report. Um, It was uh, a motion that uh, Councillor Danko uh, had decided that he wanted to work on more before it uh, came to council as uh, a motion to be considered. Um, so we spoke as, as uh, at that time, we thought it was going to be considered yesterday. Um, it, it was uh, decided to reconsider in terms of how the details of what Councillor Danker was going to propose. Are you frustrated um, by that? Um, C- council does, Cameron. As I you mean, know, council does have a propensity to kick things down the road. I... I couldn't uh, in many ways agree more. Uh, but again, we're not looking to blame or shame any particular individuals. We're asking everyone to start acting as if it's a climate emergency. But we need to stress to everyone as we're doing that, that what's important, it's not just demanding action. It's also the way we're interacting with other people to be in a nonviolent manner to try to listen and hear other people, because if we're going to do this right, it can't be the same way that we've done business as usual for two generations more. So do you have a plan? 
uh, obviously you have a plan for climate change and, and how you want the city to address it, and I would imagine on a grander scale how you want the province and uh, the federal governments to address this. But what about your action plan for, for Extinction Rebellion Hamilton at this stage, Cameron? Uh, you're down there today at the lift bridge. Uh, how long are you going to be there for, first of all, and, and, and what are the future plans? Well, largely, Bill, stay tuned. That's it? Well, there's going to be more disruptions. We're, we're not going to divulge where the disruptions are going to happen and when. Um, we our, our specific plans are, are not going to be discussed out front uh, much before they actually happen. Um, but we want to stress to everyone, we're, don't look to us to have the specific answers. We need everyone involved. There are plenty of scientists and experts that have been working on this for a long time. We need to listen to the science. We need, this is the truth they're giving us. This is peer-reviewed journals. This is not just consensus. This is dramatic unanimity between experts that have been doing this their whole life, and they care as much as anyone. I, listen, I, I share your frustration. I know we've talked about this many times on the program, and I get frustrated by elected officials or, or wannabe elected officials that just don't seem to grasp uh, the, the, the gravity of the situation here. And, and uh, I'm glad that there's a discussion going on about this. But uh, again, at the grassroots level, uh, I, and I know you're taking a risk here about what might happen because you know you're 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 inconveniencing people, and and that in some people's minds, is not the best way to try to curry favor and get support for this. What kind of reaction are you getting this morning down there from the people, the, the average citizens that are down there? Well, we've got, we've got folks coming up to us uh, that are very supportive uh, as they approach the, the block. Um, we've got other folks that are frustrated. Um, we're trying to individually speak with each of them to explain much of what I've just uh, presented to you. Um, the 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 thing that I, we, we're trying to ask uh, motorists and other passers-by here to, to appreciate is we're taking the time to stand up physically. Many of us are putting our bodies in uncomfortable situations. Um, this is not something I've ever done before, um, but I just can't live with myself for what world my children or my grandchildren are going to live in. Is there a police presence there? There is a significant police presence. Okay, uh, because there is a, obviously a public safety issue, and, and I mean for you too, for the, the people that are involved with uh, with the organization, uh, that as soon as you're blocking traffic or blocking a roadway and any any of that nature, uh, there's always the risk of something happening. And I hope it doesn't, but obviously, I'm good, it's good to know that there is a police presence there. Have you talked to any of the officers? Yes, we spoke to them as we arrived. We're in contact with them. Um, we have a when we do any actions, we try to think things through uh, piece by piece. We have a police liaison uh, representative that we've designated. Um, we have site marshals. Um, we have uh, someone concerned about um, first aid and a legal advise, uh, observer. Yeah, so we're we're as prepared as we we know how to be, and we're learning. Well, obviously you've thought you've thought this thing through, and obviously you've done some preparation and a strategy involved in this. Uh, we'll stay in touch. Uh, we, you, know, you know, as you know, we've talked with Nicole before. We've talked to other people that share your passion for this issue, uh, and uh, we'll see just how the city responds to this in, in the short term, and then ultimately what's going to happen in the federal election on Monday. Cameron, thanks so much yeah. for this. Uh, stay safe, and uh, we'll stay in touch. 
Thank you, Bill. Thanks for having us on. Okay. Cameron Top from uh, uh, Extinction Rebellion Hamilton, and that's right over by the lift bridge, of course, down uh, on the beach strip. So uh, be advised. If you want to be supportive, of by all means, go down there. But uh, if you've got some concerns about traffic safety and things of that nature, uh, you may want to avoid that area for the next little while. But certainly uh, we're going to keep an eye on what's going on down there. And uh, we'll stay in touch with those folks to see just what else they've got in mind in the uh, coming days and weeks ahead. You're listening to the Bill Kelly Show podcast on 900 CHML. A Brexit deal has been reached. Uh, Boris Johnson tweeted the news just a, a little while ago. Uh, the EU and the UK have to uh, come to an agreement, though. This is an agreement in principle. And uh, based on some of the reaction that we've heard so far, uh, it's uh, not over the finish line yet. There's still uh, some negotiation that has to happen within the UK. Joining us to talk about this is Redmond Shannon, European correspondent with Global News. Uh, Redmond, thank you for the time on a very busy day today. Glad you could join us. Uh, good morning, Bill. Uh, well, uh, Boris calls this a great new deal. Is there jubilation in the streets of London today? Yeah, it made me think uh, he is very Trumpian the way yeah. he uh, gave it these hyperbole, but uh, he is of that mold, especially when it comes to how he uh, trumpets um, his achievements. Uh, it's People are wary. People are glad, I think, that things have moved on and that we may be closer to some sort of deal, but there are a lot of hurdles uh, between now and then. So this deal is a little different. Uh, it is a victory already of sorts for Boris Johnson because the EU had insisted all along it would never renegotiate the deal, never reopen the withdrawal deal, but it did and it was changed and they found another way of uh, striking a deal that manages, in theory, to keep the border open between Northern Ireland and Ireland after Brexit. However, uh, it needs to be passed by the House of Commons, it needs to be passed by the European Parliament, and it needs to be agreed upon by the other 27 leaders of the European Union. And they all meet in a summit this week. All of the the documents have to be translated into the EU's 23 official languages before that can happen as well. But the real big date is Saturday when the House of Commons votes on it, and it's not going to be easy for Boris Johnson to get it, the support he needs to to get it passed. Redmond, was there an anticipation that they were close to something uh, sometime this week? As uh, Even uh, some of the folks that have been pretty hardline about this, Macron and, and Merkel and others, uh, seem to be a little more conciliatory. Yes, I think they knew something was coming. Um, the um, members of the media in Brussels who are, have been closely following Brexit, well, for years, the ones that we that we all keep a close eye on, their insiders indicated things were getting very close. So I think it was in everyone's interest to say nice things over the last few days because a deal was likely. So a deal was found this morning. Uh, the deadline of sorts was yesterday, but obviously those things often spill over and it was struck eventually this morning. So a lot of nice things being said. Boris Johnson flew to Brussels this morning and spoke alongside Jean-Claude Juncker, the head of the European Commission. Uh, they, they spoke some very friendly words to one another because that hasn't always been the case between the EU and the UK over the last few years. So everything is nice and happy, but I, I would uh, yeah, hold all judgment until Saturday when MPs uh, meet in this emergency session of Parliament. Uh, I don't get the feeling that you're anticipating that they're going to lock arms and sing kumbaya on saturday this this is going to be a rough ride isn't it yeah exactly so as uh, we were hearing there in, in the news that uh, the leader of the opposition jeremy corbyn says this is even worse than the previous deal theresa may's deal which of course was voted down three times earlier this year uh, he is concerned he says about workers rights and how that's protected and ultimately Bar um, jeremy corbyn the leader of the opposition is angling for a second referendum to verify the, any deal 
Uh, he wants a general election too, like any opposition leader wants to get into power. But a lot of his MPs might be tempted to vote for this, and some are already saying that they will. And that is because a lot of opposition MPs with the the Labour Party specifically come from ridings in the UK where their constituents voted for Brexit and they want Brexit to happen and they don't want their MP to be voting uh, to block it yet again because they pay the price in the next election. So Boris Johnson has some bargaining chips available to try and get those MPs onto his side because this entire country is sick and tired of Brexit and wants it out of the way. What we say out of the way, of course, if it does happen on October 31st, it is really just the end of the beginning. Then there is a brand new process that starts about establishing the new relationship between the UK and the EU. But really, this is the biggest hurdle and the hardest one. Yeah, it's not surprising, obviously, that Jeremy Corbyn would be op- opposed to this. Uh, that's, that's what he does, obviously. But what about some of the other players? And more specifically, I guess, Redmond, uh, the Democratic Unionist Party, which basically we're, we're holding up the Conservative government for the longest time. Uh, that Irish border was one of the key stumbling blocks in this negotiation. How do they feel about this proposed deal? For them, yet again, they're saying they won't support it, the Ah. 10 MPs. So they uh, were supporting Theresa May's minority government until Boris Johnson took over. Boris Johnson then, of course, uh, sacked a number of his or threw out a number of his MPs for rebelling against him. So he doesn't have anywhere near a majority government now. So the DUP is, well, there are 10 MPs that he would like to have on side, but he might not necessarily need them. However, it is about Northern Ireland and the DUP represents half the the pro-British unionist half of Northern Ireland. So it is important to keep them happy, but they're saying they will not support it. You know, they have voted against the, all attempts to get any Brexit deal through. It is worth remembering there is only one party currently in the House of Commons that campaigned in the referendum for Brexit unilaterally, and that was the DUP. And now they are the one party, just 10 of them, hold, potentially that could hold it up and prevent it from happening, at least prevent it from happening in an orderly way, because if it doesn't, there is the potential for this so-called no deal, which would be extremely difficult, unprecedented, and who knows what it could mean for the border and for trade in the UK. What about on the other side here, the the EU itself? As you mentioned, they're meeting, and, and obviously they're going over this, and I would imagine some of them probably haven't even got all the details about this yet. Is there a, a sense of confidence that they're going to give uh, this thing the ratification that it needs at that side? Generally speaking, yes. There doesn't seem to be much motivation for any EU leader um, to... Uh, to vote this down, to to veto it, because all you would need would be one EU country, one EU president or prime minister to say, no, I don't like it, and then it falls apart. You need all 28 members on board, so the other 27 leaders need to be on board, but I don't think there is necessarily a real reason why. There was talk that Boris Johnson was trying to tempt some of the members to veto it, uh, veto... um, anything from happening unless it was a deal that he agreed. We now have a deal that Boris Johnson wants too, so he's not going to try and tempt any other leader to vote against it. That should be okay. The European Parliament should row in behind it too. It's all about the House of Commons. It's all about what happens in London on Saturday, really, that will decide whether or not this deal is the deal that... Uh, that uh, makes Brexit happen. I, I'm glad you brought that up because that's one of the areas of concern and has been through the negotiations that every one of those countries has veto power on this. And, and Belgium has played hardball with the UK in the past, but it, I, I'm not getting a sense that they're going to try to do that again today. 
Yes, I don't think they will. Yeah, and of course, Belgium was the last country to um, one of the stumbling blocks to, for the EU to get its trade deal with Canada, yeah. the CETA trade deal. Right. And uh, you know, one of the, and Belgium is actually sort of a federation of of two states, um, the French and Flemish speaking, and it was one half of Belgium really that was holding it all up. So that's what can happen in the EU. I mean, that's why many things when they do pass through the EU Parliament or the, the European Union. They, they need to be uh, a compromise, a consensus, because everyone needs to be on board. But I think it seems unlikely that there is a motivation for any country to um, pull the plug on this. So I think, yeah, it's going to be down to the British MPs again. Uh, the math is going to be difficult. It's going to be 48 hours for Boris Johnson now of haggling and getting MPs into side rooms and offering them something or who knows uh we i you know if you watch house of cards uh who knows what goes on behind those doors but <laughs> it will be very interesting to see what the numbers pan out to be on saturday yeah well this is life imitating art i guess with the way things are wrapping up but this uh, I, i've got bbc on my cable tv uh, actually redmond so it's going to be must see tv for me on saturday when you see how this debate rolls out uh busy day for you today thanks so much for reporting we'll be uh, watching for your reports on global national later on tonight uh take care and we'll talk again soon you're welcome. Have a good day, Bill. Bye. Take care. Redmond Shannon, of course, European correspondent in London, obviously, uh, for this breakfast discussion. And uh, this is a monumental uh, vote that's going to be happening. And, and the Saturday session that uh, that Redmond was talking to us about is actually a special session. Uh, as you might figure, they don't usually work on Saturdays. They don't usually meet on Saturdays. But uh, with the clock ticking towards the end of the month here, when they have to get some sort of a deal, uh, they're going to see what they can do. It's going to be interesting to see just how that rolls out in, in the House of Commons that particular day. And the different twists and turns on this, as, as Redmond articulated, there's already one rumor that, said that Boris Johnson actually is trying to undermine this deal because he doesn't really like it. And all he has to do is convince one of the European Union countries to veto it. So the, I'm not sure. sure they, there's no confirmation of that, of course. You never find that out until after the fact. But uh, there's uh, the chance of skullduggery. There's the chance of a lot of politicking going on. Uh, Jeremy Corbyn wants an election out of this and wants another referendum. I don't know how they're going to find the time for that. And, of course, anything like that would basically throw UK into turmoil where they'd have to actually ask for another deadline until they get their uh, their act sorted out here. So high drama in London today. And uh, as I say, we'll be watching Global News later on tonight to see just how this rolls out. You're listening to the Bill Kelly Show podcast on 900 CHML. A busy city council meeting yesterday. Council has decided to hire a consultant to gather public feedback on ways to counteract hate-related activity in the city, more specifically, I guess, at the forecourt with some of the uh, actions and uh, uh, displays that have gone on in the last couple of months in the City Hall forecourt. Brad Clark, City Council, joins us on the Bill Kelly Show to bring us up to speed on that. Morning, Brad. How are you today? I'm doing great. How about yourself, sir? I'm hanging in. I live in the dream. It's uh, <laughs> good to see this uh, this coming forward right now. This has been a very contentious issue, obviously, uh, since the events at Pride Week. Uh, and uh, there's been a great deal of pressure on, on city councillors uh, to, to move forward on this. Uh, you've seen some of the social media action on this and some of the comments that people have been making about the, what they consider to be inaction by city council on that. Uh, did, did you feel as if that you, you had that pressure on you, Brad, to try to get something done fast about this? I think council has felt that pressure for months now, um, and it's been a question of finding the right degree of balance and making sure that we're moving forward judiciously, but not moving forward in a manner that would somehow impede 
the rights and freedoms that we all enjoy as Canadians under our charter. So uh, it has been a challenging time. Well, and therein lies the problem. I know you and I have talked about this uh, back in the summertime when you were trying to find some solutions to this. And I know that some of the stuff that's being proposed by some of the uh, groups that were impacted by this, negatively impacted by this, uh, we're simply saying, look, you know, ban that. Get rid of them. You can't do this. But, I mean, you, you've you got to walk a fine line here between, as you say, the Charter of Rights and Freedoms and the public safety of the other people. We do. And, and we do have certain legislative authorities as a municipality in the province of Ontario. So, you know, we, we can issue notices of trespass, the challenge that we found in Hamilton is that we did not have a bylaw that clearly enunciated what that authority was. And so the police were asking for us to have a bylaw. So our legal team worked hard to come up with a bylaw that is consistent with the approach of other municipalities. And we we passed that yesterday at the General Issues Committee. Were you surprised, Brad, that that, that void existed, that, that you didn't have anything that you could hang your hat on here to to try to create that, that for enforcement? I, I was personally surprised, um, but to be fair to staff, um, there, we're not the only municipality that doesn't have a no trespass bylaw. Um, many municipalities simply rely on the fact that we have this legislative authority from the from Queen's Park, um, and so they would issue the no trespass bylaw um, without that bylaw in place. The challenge is, is the enforcement of those no trespass notices when you don't have a bylaw and it gets before a JP, a justice of the peace. And so um, we wanted to do it right and make sure that we were, um, in essence, crossing the T's, dotting the I's to make sure that there, there was we had the best chance of success if we did find ourselves in a situation we need, where we needed to issue um, bar banning or, or no trespassing. Who did you talk to? Obviously, there was some consultation by staff to, to try to formulate this thing. Uh, I mentioned police. I assume they're at least one of the people that was at the table to try to craft this thing. Yes, the, 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 the police were involved. They, they actually were the ones that, that first initiated and, and indicated to the city that really... In, in with a lack of a bylaw, it was challenging for them that a bylaw would really help them. And so from there, our legal staff and our city manager did uh, a thorough review of other municipalities and then came forward with a, 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 a bylaw that um, I would argue exercises and protects the rights of people to freedom of expression and freedom of, of, of association and, and, and gathering, um, but by the same token puts in place clear limitations in terms of when the municipality can act. i got to ask you, uh, because of some of our past conversations, obviously I'm getting a lot of response from listeners about what should and shouldn't be done uh, by city council in this situation. Uh, and a, a common theme that I noticed among a lot of the emails that I received, Brad, said, I thought you had a zero-tolerance policy at Hamilton City Hall and city council anyway. I mean, why can't you just use that as the enforcement tool? We have a zero-tolerance uh, policy at recreation centers, and the threshold there is different than it is for a forecourt. And, and if you can permit me uh, to explain. So yeah, please. At, at a recreation center, for example, um, the zero-tolerance bylaw forbids vulgarities, forbids you know swearing and, and threats and things along that line. 
Um, and what they're trying to do there is to enforce good sportsmanship. So at an arena, when you know trouble breaks out, um, we can ban parents or individuals who are acting out and being very vulgar and yelling and screaming at coaches, et cetera, et cetera, threatening violence. All of that we can deal with under that auspice because we're trying to enforce sportsmanship within our rec centers. In the forecourt of a municipality or a city hall, any of our city hall buildings or any of our, our municipal buildings where there's a potential protest, there's a different threshold. Um, there are court decisions. For example, in Guelph, there was a decision where a gentleman was regularly outside of, of the city hall in Guelph with a sign with very vulgar language that you and I would agree, most people would agree, you know, the F word is, is a vulgar language, on signs and saying some really nasty things about the council. And they finally, I guess, had enough of it, and they banned him. He went to court, and it was overturned because it was deemed to be by the court's freedom of expression. So while his language was vulgar and offensive, it was not deemed to be something that he did not have the right to do under the Charter of Rights and Freedoms. So uh, we have to be cognizant of those court decisions and cognizant of the different thresholds that a forecourt, which is a public gathering spot, where protests happen all the time, we can't now begin to censor language, for example, the way we might do in in, in arena where children are playing hockey. So with that in mind, uh, is there an anticipation that, that this bylaw is, is going to be challenged by somebody at some time? Um, <laughs> I wouldn't doubt it. I'm not, I'm not trying uh, to put the thought in somebody's head. I'm sure it's already been there. I guess it really depends on on how the bylaw is implemented. So if 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 um, uh, a no trespass uh, notice is issued because someone is using vulgar language, I dare say that that would be overturned uh, with an appeal. Um, but if we're talking about um, where we are saying the prohibited conduct is the contravention of law of Canada, Ontario, a municipal bylaw damage to vandalism, city premises, interference with the operation of the premises, interference with other use of the premises, etc. It was a very specific conduct that we're expecting, um, and I think they would hold up if we issue a no trespass. So if someone's being violent or pushing and threatening people, um, the police or, or our security could then issue uh, a, a no trespass for that type of behavior. But Every protest that generally that you and I've seen in the forecourt, most of the time they're very respectful. We have many protests that come down. They could come down and protest about climate change, any number of things. Um, and 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 while their comments may be offensive to some, to others, it's just free speech, and they're not hurting anyone. So that is permissible. And the council has has stated consistently, we're not going to prohibit that type of uh, civic engagement um, because it's it's. It's a part of a democracy. Who's going to do the enforcement? This has got a bylaw, and, and first blush, I would think, well, that means uh, bylaw officers. But, I mean, police have had a presence there as well. So who, who actually is going to be the one that's going to say, this is the law, and, and, and this is what we have to do, and this is what you need to comply with? So the, the bylaw identifies it as authorized persons okay. may do this. And so it could be a security guard that is employed or in a contract with the city, so they would be trained and understand the rules. Uh, any person that is employed by the city whose regular duties and responsibilities is having control over the condition of a city premise, um, 
a municipal law enforcement officer, so bylaw officer, a police officer, or even a senior staff person who has control over the property and the activities that are going on at the property. So it's a, it's a relatively narrow scope. Um, it does indicate also um, executive directors, and it lists a whole number of people. But the premise of the bylaw was that the people who would actually have the authority to issue the notice are people who are employed specifically, uh, and their regular duties and circumstances is the responsibility for the control of the condition of the city premises and activities that are happening on those premises. So it's, it's narrowly prescripted. Um, and if we find that it's not working, again, as you know, no bylaw is static. We can amend the bylaw if we find that we have challenges. Brett, are you concerned that there are some gray areas in this? I mean, because we heard uh, previous to this, of course, with some of the other incidents that occurred down there, uh, there seemed to be some confusion as to who crossed the line or that action or that language or whatever it might have been uh, should have been dealt with by the authorities, and it wasn't. Uh, is, is this crystal clear now? Are people going to have a solid understanding as to what they can and cannot do now? Well, I think people will, uh, I think if they read the bylaw, they'll have a, a, a good understanding. But I think also that people will have an expectation uh, that might be slightly different than the bylaw. So there may be individuals who find the language of some of the protesters to be offensive. But we cannot issue a notice of trespass simply because they're using offensive language. Uh, So that's why it's very clearly restricted to the laws of Canada, Ontario, and municipal bylaws. So as far as the authorities are concerned, it's going to be crystal clear. The, uh, well, you know, there may well be some people that are protesting down there, too, that don't care whether or not they're, they're going over that line. So, I mean, I, that's obviously what the bylaw is for. Uh, you mentioned with the, the zero-tolerance policy, uh, those that, uh, that are abusing uh, w- with that authority, of course, inside a, a recreation center, uh, can be banned from that facility for a period of time. Now, I know that there are some people that uh, were being victimized. There were others who were just watching some of the uh, the protests that had happened over the last couple of months, Brad, saying, why don't you just ban them? And I, I think we have a pretty clear understanding. The city can't just ban uh, protests like that, but they can ban individuals. Is this bylaw going to address that? It does. It, it's, it's not speaking to groups. It's speaking to individuals. And and so we're t- we're talking about... And I, we need to clarify that, you know, there could be any number of groups that are involved in protests at any given time in front of the municipality. But it's the individual behavior that is what is going to be tested through the bylaw. So if an individual is, is getting agitated and begins to, um, I witnessed, for example, they, they were chest thumping where they were literally pushing their chest up against people, pushing them away from, from a certain area. Um, that could be construed by the police department as an act of violence. Now, it may not be an act of violence where they would charge them with assault, but under this bylaw, they could say that that's crossing the line and, and we're going to remove you from the premises. So again, we expect that the police and the law enforcement people and security will be using this bylaw judiciously, uh, but it is another tool in their kit that they can use. Uh, if, if in fact, somebody does get booted out, banned, as it were, uh, mm-hmm. can you attach a length of time to that? Is, is that included? Is that uh, specified in the bylaw that you're, you're gone for three months or two months or whatever it might be? Yes. No, they, they can specify it, and, and there's different levels. So if, the, if it's an ongoing issue, they could have a longer uh, prohibition, um, or it could be a shorter prohibition. And the bylaws is, again, we're, we're being very careful to craft the bylaw in a manner that we're respecting the rights of the individuals under the law. 
So if an individual has received a notice uh, of trespass and they can't be on the forecourt property, but they find themselves in a situation where they have to attend City Hall for some reason, it could be a meeting, it could be for um, a meeting with a, a staff person or whatever the case is, uh, there is an opportunity for them to contact the municipality and request an invitation to attend. So they would be granted an invitation to attend for the, that specific date to deal with their business, and then the ban would be in place from that point on. So we've tried uh, as hard as we can to craft a bylaw that is that um, is very respectful of the Charter of Rights and Freedoms, but follows all of the laws of the land and, and provides as much opportunity um, so that we can start to curb some of the, 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 the nastier behavior that we've seen, but it's, it's, it's not meant to ban people from protesting. That's, that's not the case at all. Are, are there any punitive measures in this? Uh, for instance, somebody who's in noncompliance or, or maybe somebody who has been banned and, and decides to show up anyway, uh, did, did they get a ticket? Is there a fine involved in that? What, what, what's the procedure there? Um, I don't see that in, in the bylaw itself. Um, I, I'd have to ask the city solicitor with regards to the, those punitive measures. I'm assuming at that point that if there's a notice of no trespass um, uh, submitted to someone and they've been given that notice, if they come back, then the police department would then have the opportunity to charge them with trespassing, which is uh, the standard process for for you know for bars and and businesses where they ban someone for bad behavior. They ban them, they give them the notice. If they come back, then the police can come back and they can lay a charge of trespass. So that's the standard process here, and whatever those uh, charges would be would be the outcome. We mentioned off the top that uh, you've decided to hire a consultant who's going to be talking to, I guess, community groups. Uh, and November 11th, I think, is the cutoff date for that. What, what do you want to see in that report? Well, the, 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 the intention is to draft, um, in essence, an anti-hate policy uh, for the municipality. Many municipalities have now put them in place. Toronto has a very expansive one. It's on their website, actually, if anyone's interested in, in looking at it. Um, but we want to make sure that, that before we just draft this policy, uh, based on our perspectives of the 16 people around that table and our staff that we've reached out to the broader perspectives of the individuals who are experiencing hate, who are experiencing racism in their da daily lived lives. So we want to make sure that our policy um, is broadly consulted. Prior to issuing a policy, we've broadly consulted and understood what the issues are and the perspectives are uh, and then from there, we can draft a more comprehensive uh, policy to to address all of those issues. So I, I think it's prudent. I agree with the city manager's approach on it. Um, and I'm hopeful that, that that policy, when it comes back in the new year, will be rather comprehensive. Looking forward to that discussion uh, when we get to that stage. Brad, as always, thanks so much for the time today. Greatly appreciate it. My, my pleasure, Bill. Have a great day. You too. City Council Brad Clark. The Bill Kelly Show, weekdays from 9 to noon on 900 CHML. The Bill Kelly Podcast is available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts from. You can also listen to The Bill Kelly Show weekdays from 9 till noon on 900 CHML. I'm Bill Kelly. Thanks again for listening. And don't forget to subscribe to the podcast. It's free, so you never miss an episode. And make sure that you rate and review. For most of us, crime is something we see on the news. We never think it could happen to us until it does. 
Loved ones are gone, and for the survivors, the scars will never heal. I'm Nancy Hickst, a senior crime reporter for Global News. And on this season of Crime Beat, I'll take you inside some of the most serious crime stories I've covered. Season six of Crime Beat is available now on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, and all podcast platforms.